G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates and this is Eric Tischer. Say hello. Yep, I'm here. G'day, g'day. And we are here today to talk about the Melbourne Queer Film Festival happening starting tomorrow, March 14th, running all the way through till March 25th in 2019. It's a big lineup this year, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, they've got a quite a big selection of films, quite a few documentaries and feature-length films. Um, I think uh, it's the 29th year that 29th the, uh, year, f- the yep. festival's been running. And it's been getting bigger and bigger each year. Yeah, which is uh, great to hear. And uh, they'll be hitting, what, their 30th year, 30th year next, next year. year. And they have, they're now across three locations now. They are at the lovely Australian Centre for Movie... I- Australian Centre of the Moving Image at Acme. They've got Village Cinema's Jam Factory in South Yarra and as well as the lovely Cinema Nova in Carlton. Mm. Three really great venues, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. And to see at these wonderful venues, they have a vast, as you you mentioned, a vast and very varied and diverse range of films, including a bunch that we got to preview before the festival starts tomorrow, which we are very fortunate, and we thank the Melbourne Queer Film Festival for giving us this opportunity. Yeah, indeed, we're, we're very grateful so we can uh, advertise these films. But even then, Eric only saw a handful of them. <laughs> so oh, well, yeah. Unfortunately, I was a bit busy, so I didn't get to watch as many films as I'd like. But uh, but collectively, Eric and I have seen uh, have seen seven of the films that are playing as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival that we're going to talk to you about on this little preview episode today. And yeah, so we're going to start off with a film that I actually saw at the Melbourne International Film Festival uh, last year, back in 2018 in June, in August, and I really loved it, and uh, I'm so thankful that I got t- the screener to watch this film again and properly review it, is uh, Wanuri Kahiu's Rafiki. Now, Eric, you've heard a little bit about this one on the festival circuit, for two, and you might, may have heard that for two different reasons. Yeah, um, I, hear, I heard that uh, this is, um, was it, uh, it was the first entry in... Um, which festival was it? For Cannes. For Cannes, the first sorry. Can, can, uh, yeah. not, I don't first know if it was Kenyan first entry, but it was their sorry, first, the first film Ken- The first film from Kenya to compete in the comp- competition at Cannes, yes. in the official competition. But also the, there was great controversy surrounding the film in its home country where uh, it actually got banned. Yes, it got banned in Kenya for its, air quotes, promotion of homosexuality, Yeah, which is really unfortunate because this film... I mean, one, it's a really good film, but also the people that would benefit most from seeing this film aren't allowed to see this film. Which is a real shame. Yeah, it really is. So this is kind of a uh, Romeo, a Juliet, a Julie and Juliet uh, situation with this film, if you will. And yeah, so as the program guide says, when teenage Kenna spots free-spirited Zeke dancing on the streets of Nairobi, the euphoric rush of first love hits her right away. The two begin to flirt and soon they're sneaking off, off, off for secret dates. The girls know they're taking a huge risk being together in their deeply conservative community, but to complicate matters further, their fathers are running against each other in the local election. Hence why I said the, the Romeo and Juliet comparisons yeah. here. This is a really, really interesting film in the way that it's presented as well. Like, it's, it's interesting to see as the film progresses. Like, it starts off with this very poppy kind of, like, hip-hop and rap kind of soundtrack to begin with. Like, yeah. the opening credits has this really, really funky and catchy song <laughs> that I cannot get out of my head. And I love it. And it gets to more, like, kind of orchestral and, like, kind of, like, uh, you know, soft ki- soft kind of songs. Oh, yeah. Is, it, is that, yeah. Sh- sh- like, show a change in tone? I guess so, more yeah. Energetic to something because, more yeah, delicate. it starts off really energetic and really fun. And, like, the, I mean, what really sells this film is, I mean, the two actresses in this film as well. I better get up their names because they're both fantastic. Also, this is, um, so this film is uh, adapted from a short story called Jambala Tree as well, which I think won some kind of award a few years back. Uh, no, so, so it, came, it played in the Uncertain Regard section of Cannes, so, you know, really major competition mm. at the Cannes Film Festival. And these two actresses' names, uh, I believe it is uh, Samantha Mugatsia and Sheila Munyeva, these two, these two actresses. They're really good in this film, and their chemistry and together, and, like, they have a genuine connection with like each other really organic yeah yeah and also with um with Munyeva, she just has this radiant smile which just brightens up the screen every single time and it really really sells the relationship between these two because unfortunately some of the dialogue in this film is a little bit clunky and what like a bit heavy-handed e- a little bit yeah. yeah 
Which is unfortunate, but, like, again, it's the relationship that sells this film. And what I really love about this film, especially now since it's gotten all this controversy and, like, this could possibly fuel the... It could have really fueled the fire for this film as well. This movie does not fall into didacticism or really, like, really is only exists... It doesn't only exist to make a political statement. Mm. Like, you see a lot of films that aren't actually films and they're just there to make political yeah. statements. This actually tells a very touching love story and, you know, it has a story to tell mm. otherwise, other than just be, like, an anecdote for a political statement. Like, this actually feels I purposeful. Mean, like, the, the the existence of such a film in such a conservative um, country is just a political statement within itself and it just must, like, run the commentary, like, weave it in the story. Yep. Sort of, like, just seems like... It's, like, it's stuff that they wouldn't have to reiterate to the audience that they, they can already see happening on screen and hopefully the uh the number of awards this film has won on international on the international festival circuit will hopefully you know yeah. change minds and open up open up eyes and hearts and get them get people of kenya to see this lovely film yeah i, I would hope that just all the the global recognition would allow them to change their minds and allow the, the film to circle through the the country openly without mm. any sort of um Danger. Surrounding. I mean, it's also fantastic marketing, though, isn't it? Like, it's a yeah. great, it's a great I mean, thing to exploit for marketing. Controversy though, is always a good, a good tool to market um, your film, just depending how you you use the controversy. Like a, mm. uh, you know, a uh, filmmaker that you despise a lot, Von Trier works <laughs> with controversy does. a lot to sell films. He absolutely does, and yeah, this is. I really love this film. Uh, so thankful I got to see this again. And if you want to catch this at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which I highly recommend you do, unfortunately, one of the sessions is sold out, the one on Thursday, March 21st at 8.30pm at, at Cinema Nova. But there are still some tickets available, but they are selling fast for the session. We're recording this on Wednesday to be posted on Thursday. So on Friday, March 15th at 7pm at Village Cinema's Jan Factory in South Yarra, there are still some tickets available. I highly recommend you get to that session and see Rafiki. It is a really. It was one of actually my, one of my favorite films of of Miff in uh, last year. And oh really? I, yeah. And if you want to buy tickets as well for this, there are three ways that you can buy tickets for Rafiki and all the other films in the program for the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. You can download the Melbourne Queer Film Festival app on either Android or iPhone. Uh, you just download it from the from either of those stores, and you can buy the tickets through there. You can buy them online at mqff com.au and you can also buy them at the box office at the cinema uh there will be a box they'll have their own ticket box at acme that will be open 10 a.m till late during every day of the festival also at village jam factory and cinema nova tickets will be available an hour prior to the start time of each film the next film that we're discussing la animal yes la animal this is an austrian film directed by katharina muckstein again i hope i've pronounced that right and here we go, what the program says about this one. This is a coming-of-age, coming-out story of this young teenage girl. So uh, this tomboy named Marty, she loves to ride her motocross bikes and hang out with her gang of boys. But when she meets a young girl named Carla, her world becomes starts to become unstable. Her, the encounter within the independent girl and shows her that what she could really be, alive and open and very different from her competitive and demonstratively cool friends but to complicate things even further marty's father is also grappling with his own confused sexual feelings while her best friend sebastian throws a spanner in the works when he confesses his feelings for her so a <laughs> lot of really in interesting threads going on in this yeah. film unfortunately i don't quite think they all come together like the father subplot here about him being confused with his own sexuality i think that stuff's all really good it's just that I don't. It feels a little disconnected from the rest of the film, which you is think unfortunate. It just removes urgency from the central uh, character. Yeah, it does a little bit. Like it's it's really good. There's some interesting things in there, and like interesting w what it's saying there. But it just yeah, it just feels a little bit detached and mm. like you know not as not as well implemented. Not not as well integrated with the rest of the story. But everything with Marty, I think, is fantastic. Because the um the the mentioning of the father seems like an interesting sort of parallel against the door to show sort of how different uh, generations would approach uh, their sexual identity in terms of uh, people from our generation being more open, people from the father's generation probably being a, a lot more yeah, a little uh, secretive more, about a it. A bit more closeted. More closeted, yeah. yeah. And with, with Matty as well, like, she's kind of a character that, like, th there's this great thing because um, 
the film kind of deals again with Maddie's friends. Like her friends are just absolute scumbags. Like I mean, they just they 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 ride around on their motocross bikes all the time. But then even like they, when they go out, they they're just ruffians. They're huge troublemakers. They're real shit stirrers. And like unfortunately, like you, you know, Marty sticks up for those guys. Mm. Which is, and then like once Carla, ha- once Carla comes into the picture, that starts to change a little bit. So especially like her friends who are absolutely scum. Like, it, it's getting into toxic masculinity a little bit there mm. and, like, this sense of entitlement or whatever, especially what Sebastian feels. It's like, hey, we, I see you all the time. Like, I love you. We're basically boyfriend and girlfriend anyway. Why don't you want to do, Why don't you want to be with me? So, like, he kind of gets into that. But then it also kind of shows there's this really great shot when, like, uh, all her friends kind of leave her at, th- at this bar and she's sitting in, the, like, this huge booth at a bar and it's a static shot, like, where the entire booth is in frame. And this group of girls that bully her as well, like start come like come into this bar and like slowly push her off it. Like oh. th- th- like this huge group of girls comes into this booth and like she's slowly moving out of it until she leaves. Oh, it's, it was it was a really really great really great shot and really mm. great scene. Yeah, so it's, it sounds interesting how it explores these uh, different uh, relationships and revolving mm. this one character sort of. A love interest and uh, how she um, interacts with this group of boys and sort of how the other girls seem to look mm. upon her with like disdain it seems yeah and also another interesting element of this film is the mother as well because the mother finds out that her her husband is a, one a closeted <laughs> gay man but then she's also struggling to come to grips with her her daughter who because the mother is a vet and uh, mm. Marty is like her veterinary assistant mm. and like she has these plans for her to you know do well because the movie takes place three weeks before Marty's final exams and like so she's got this pre- she's putting a lot of pressure on her to you know do well go off to Vienna for university become a vet and come back here and take over the take over the business from me essentially mm. but then yeah Marty's like I don't wa- I don't ma- I'm starting to think that I don't want to do that like I don't like Maddie there's this there is this you know sexual awakening within Matty, but also a, I guess, like, a way, a, a, an uncertainty of the future that lies before her as well. Maybe, like, is, is she tries to grab the reins of her own sex, sexuality. She also does tries to do so with her own future. Exactly, yeah. It's a really, it's, yeah, really good coming-of-age film, Lana Mal. Unfortunately, it only has one session at the, uh, at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. It is playing Friday, March 22nd at 8.30pm at Village Cinema's Jam Factory, Definitely check this one out. Uh, it's one of my one of my favorites from this lineup of uh, films that we'll be talking about today. Mm. Rafiki is my favorite, but this one's a close second. I mean, this one sounds quite promising too. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but one that you have seen that is that you didn't see uh, through a screener or for any of these, but you yeah. saw at the Melbourne International Film Festival yeah. last year. Um, now this is a film that is also playing at the French Film Festival and was surprisingly, I believe, France's official nominee for best uh, best foreign language feature at last <laughs> year's Oscars. Which, from what I've heard about this movie, sounds very strange because well, it would have been a really interesting <laughs> nominee. I would have loved to see that just being nominated for a foreign um, film Oscar. So this is uh, Jan Gonzalez's Knife and ha- Knife Plus Heart. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about this film because I've heard that this film is just crazy. Oh, it's pretty crazy. It's it's great fun this film. It's like a um a homage on sort of giallo films. It's it's made with a it's made as an exploitation film. The film takes place on a a porn majority takes place on a porno set and the lead uh character she's a, a homosexual porn director that uh, shoots gay pornos and um so while while she's a uh, shooting her films there's there seems to be a murderer that's killing off uh, some of her stars yeah and why and i've heard a fair bit about this film is because what is the murder weapon Eric? well the the murder weapon maybe some become something that would be quite iconic <laughs> in the future and now uh the murderer has a switchblade that's uh, concealed within a dildo nice it's a it's a it's a brilliant prop in the sense that uh um like from different uh, slashes um this Killer doesn't just outright kill his victims. He seduces them first with the with the weapon, and then goes on to kill them. And the film sort of plays with this this uh, strange sort of a uh, climactic uh, duality between like a like a sexual climax and the climax of, of death. <laughs> and just looking at it, because as the program guide's describing me, it says lurid colors. So this sounds like it'll be a very visually interesting and like very vibrant sort of film. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that this film was shot on on, on film. Uh, I'm not certain, but um, I mean, 
this film has a has a lot of artificial coloring, as you would expect with the productions of of, of a uh, giallo esque film. But it also has like beautiful natural um, listic lighting, like in shot in exterior settings that have a lot of warmth to them. Um, so it has this like nice warm haze over like the neon lighting, the the naturalistic lighting. It's sort of it's like a good balance between um, the artificiality and sort of some naturalism that seems to integrate quite well into this uh, really gorgeous looking film at times. Yeah, it was shot on 16mm and 35mm Kodak Vision 3 200T film. Mm. So there you go. And also another reason why I'm very interested in this is uh, M83 did an a electronic score for this film and yeah. that's, how, how is that? Oh, it's great. I mean... You, you got to have your like your electronic score with your like a seventies esque giallo film. Yeah, the, the the scores are fantastic, it, and it, it plays very well with the actions that are happening within the film. Fantastic! I am very, very keen to check this one out. Um, <laughs> sorry, I almost burped on uh, on <laughs> mic there. Sorry, I had to tilt my head a little bit. But if you want to catch Knife Plus Heart at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, there are two screenings of this uh both late night showings because this sounds like it would be a great late night film oh this is this would be a brilliant great night um sorry <laughs> a brilliant late night film and it would be excellent to pair with like some other pulpy film like um uh i'm not sure what it paired with uh if it did pair with a film last year and me if i didn't say maybe it, like because it, it, it did it, it did play in like the late night like it night did, shift or it did play that, the that. night shift uh, uh films like i saw hagazusa there and i saw knife and heart and i think piercing played as part of that as well yeah i think piercing so it would be great to Bo- play body plays like, p- as part of that as well against uh something like piercing or um what's playing at the french film festival yeah. um revenge well, let, let the corpses tan would have been a good or one let the too. corpses tan yeah Yep, so the screenings for Knife and Heart at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival are Saturday, 16th of March at 9.30pm at Acme, and the second session also at Acme, Friday, March 22nd at 10.30pm. That sounds like that would be a great session to go to. Yeah, a be late a great night, time. 10.30, oh, that, that I sounds mean, great. bring some friends. I might go to that one, actually. <laughs> that sounds. But also, if you, if you want more chances to see this film, if you can't make it to either of those screenings at the Queer Film Festival, it is also playing at the French Film Festival at Palace Cinemas' Across the country. So if you're not in Melbourne but you still want to see this, it's playing in most major capital cities as part of the French Film Festival at Palace Cinemas. I mean, it's so really, check it out. It's really doing the festival circuit. You know, MIF, French Film Festival, uh, the Melbourne Queer Fil- um, Film Festival. So it's doing quite well. It's, it's good that it's getting well. a lot of uh, attention. Next up on our uh, little list here is uh, our first and only documentary of this uh of this whole, pro- not not of the whole program, but of what we saw, uh, the films we'll be talking about today, uh, a documentary called Transmilitary. Now, as you might be able to tell from the title of this one, uh, this this film's uh, filmed over a couple of years, and when they started this anyway, uh, it was in the U.S. back to some archaic ru- uh, because of archaic like medical reasons that date back to World War Two. That's not necessarily <laughs> archaic, but they may as well be. Um, Transgender people uh, were banned from serving in the U.S. military, even though uh, at least it was an estimated 15,500 transgender people were serving in the military as of 2014, mm. which is when this documentary went into production. Yeah, so this documentary follows four four of these 15, over 15,000 people transgender people in the in the U.S. military and like their fight to you know get this ban lifted. And so the, su- the subjects themselves are really interesting. They're all part of this group called Sparta, which is a group that for- that formed with the goal of getting rid of this ban. And one of the subjects, Logan, who is, cur- who is an, a, a U.S. soldier that was currently stationed in Afghanistan when they started filming this, uh, he was saying, and this, this clip got put on a John Oliver uh, thing for last week tonight when he talked about transgender rights. Logan was saying how in a war zone, while he was on, like, while he was on service in Iraq, not Iraq, Afghanistan, sorry, he was saying he felt at home and, like, he could really be himself in there because back home in the U.S., he would have to go by female regulations, female standards, like, all that kind of stuff. But at in a war zone, he is just one of the guys. And the fact that he feels more comfortable in Afghanistan than he does in America is really, really, that's, yeah. that's wrong. I mean, it, it, it just shows you how, how much of a sort of 
strange disconnect there is to, to like, accepting someone of this uh, identity. But it's also nice to see that even within the military, uh, as for some strange reason, I would have expected uh, a trans person to get a lot of uh, harassment, but it seems that uh, the soldiers seem to um, uh, just uh, handle um, Logan's identity quite well, and they seem to, to accept Logan for who he is, which is uh, quite nice to hear. Mm. And there's there's another one, uh, Jen. She says in the documentary, like, she uh, she's... I think she was going to be a... Hold on, I'll see what her rank is here on my notes. She's a captain in the U.S. Army. And, like, a lot... Of, according to everyone, like, she's one of the best people, like, in her, like, stationed where she mm-hmm. is and, like, in her department. Like, you know, incredible results, like, in, in the field, like, and all her test work and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But then uh, one of her officers, or I think one of her supervisors, found out that she was transgender and they made her follow all male regulations and even made her see a psychiatrist as well because they thought, you know... Well, you've gender dysphoria. There's something wrong with you, <laughs> or something like that. And there's also like a Waltz with Bashir esque like animation sequence where one of the uh, one of the other subjects t- tells us a really just like harrowing and like kind of heartbreaking story of what happened, like how she was almost killed in a while well, while she was on service, mm. but because she was transgender, she was pulled off the mission, and like her and her team were pulled off the mission, and this other team went in her favor, and they died doing that. She. So yeah, and, and that's you can actually only that's actually guilt. That's actually when that actually happens in the film when her mother tells this anecdote of when like di- her daughter ca- came out to her and said, "Hey, I'm trans," and like she said, "You are not my son. You are not my daughter. You are not my child anymore." And then this happened, and then she completely did a 180 on that, and like completely got behind her, and like you know is like a, ma- a big advocate for transgender rights now because of her daughter. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to show that um, they uh, have that change of heart just as a reflection to show how um, it doesn't matter uh, necessarily your gender or anything when you're, when you're putting your life on the line to protect people back home. I mean, that's what really matters is the sacrifice or the um, putting yourself on the line in order to, to uh, yeah. Mm, and there's also just something like it's stupefying statistics that come up in this where you're like, that can't be real. Like surely they wouldn't do that. Like there's one one of them, and th- it's all presented in like um like they're printed on like like classified documents. <laughs> so they they do a really cool job with the presentation of that. But one of them is uh, apparently the U.S. military spend eighty four point two four million dollars each year on erectile dysfunction prescriptions for soldiers. How much do you think they spend on trans transgender healthcare? Um, like. Just one percent. Eight point four. Eight point four million opposed to eighty-four point two four million. So, almost ten times more. Actually, no, ten times more. Yeah. That's ridiculous. You know, it just shows you who they're they're prioritizing. Mm. I mean, I'm not surprised. It just the way just American healthcare is in general. It's pretty shocking. So yeah, this this documentary it documents this lead up and like these four people and their their you know incredible work that they did as soldiers, but also the work to get this ban lifted. And the ban was lifted in June 2016. But then this is where the documentary gets interesting and kind of turns into a horror film. Like, right when they're starting to, like, get some success or right when they slowly start to gain success and everything's happy, like, they start into cutting it with, like, Trump's election campaign. And it's like this looming, mm. this looming doom that just hovers over this. Just this big hand that's better to snatch yeah, away what they just, they work so hard to achieve. And yeah. then they would have to do all that hard work again. Yeah, so then yeah. the film, like, they, they've completed everything. And then for them to, at the end, when Trump gets into office and then that horrific tweet he did about transgender people and how he wants to, you know, put that ban back into practice, just like, it's like, yeah. We're back at the drawing board now. <laughs> yeah, well, I really hope that they um that they 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 don't lose their um transgender soldiers. But I mean, the the future isn't looking too bright with if uh, Trump is persistent with the uh, enacting what he wants to do. So, trans military. It's a very interesting. It's a it's a fascinating documentary. I would definitely recommend going to see this. Uh, unfortunately, there's only one screening at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, so try and get along to it. It is Thursday, March 21st at 6.45pm at the Cinema Nova, and this is proudly presented by the University of Melbourne, so good on them mm. for, for you know wanting to show this film and 
they, they definitely should. It's a great I mean, documentary it's, it's, about a compelling sub, a compelling and very, very you know important subject matter. Yeah, I was about to say, it just seems like a very important film that uh that has a lot of urgency for for people to to see. Next on this list is Sunburn. This is a Portuguese uh, drama. Um, it's a bot- it's a bottle film, so contained to one location. Only four characters in the whole film. Less than ninety minutes. You think I? This is my. This is what I liked. Like this is my sort of thing. For some reason, I, this stuff is like catnip for me. I love these sorts of films. Yep. So this is like uh, two couples, uh, a, g- a gay couple and a straight-ish. I'll say why it's ish a mm. little bit later on. But they're like, they're like. Uh, very bourgeois people from uh, from Lisbon, and they come down to this uh, like holiday house in the country for a weekend away. And one night, after a crazy raucous night of partying, uh, they wake up and realize that someone gets one of them gets a phone call from this old mysterious figure called David, and said that he's going to be coming around. Now, as the plot unfolds, you'll start to realize that David has ha- has had very interesting relationships with all four of these characters. And it becomes very interesting because now the characters are like, who is he coming here for? <laughs> and you hear this voiceover from David and like, it's really interesting. He's talking about like how, like he's talking about the, the, this one of these characters and like, you know, the, the horrible way that they treated him or like what he wants, what he wants to happen to some of these people, like, to, like directly addressing them, but you never know who he's saying it to, which is the interesting <laughs> part, which I really like that part. But then also, like, these four, like, kind of, you know, they're kind of fighting with each other and, like, wondering who it is and, like, trying to guess who it is that he's actually going to be coming for mm. and, like, who's going to be confronting him. It sounds very intense. <laughs> it is. Uh, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't really sustain itself. Like, the pacing in this film is very inconsistent. Like, uh, and also there's some, uh, uh, there's some, uh, uh, er- like, continuity, like, mistakes or, like, errors in this. Like, uh, some, uh, they may not be errors, but there's just cer- certain shots, like, apparently he's only meant to be a couple of hours away, but certain shots look like it's closer to sunset and other shots look like it's, like, you know, mid-morning or, like, noon. <laughs> and they're, like, intercut like intercut when it's meant to be, you know, a linear story. And it just doesn't it, – it, it was just a bit distracting. It also feels like they've been waiting a lot longer than they actually are. Do you think that that could have been done for a uh, dramatic effect in the sense, like, two hours fe- feeling like, I don't know, two days? Yeah, so. maybe. But also the voiceover itself, which the content that it's saying is very interesting, but the actual production of the audio is kind of terrible. <laughs> because, I mean, this could have just been the, the screener copy that I got, but uh, the, like, it, the the actual audio recording felt like it was the guy recording it on his phone because like I, I swear I could hear background noise and every P sound like sounds like this like it's very you know popping popping the microphone popping the pop 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 <laughs> it's that like you hear that popping sound every time so that was very distracting but also just the audio mixing and the panning as well was really really inconsistent like there would be people I'm seeing on the right side of the sc- on the left side of the screen but like their dialogue. Like, usually their dialogue would come in the left ear and then the yeah. person on the right would come out in the right ear. I'm like, oh, that's okay. But then certain scenes, the person on the left side of the screen, their dialogue would be coming into the right ear. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I literally pulled my headphones out to make sure I had the right ears, the, the right like ones in the right ears. And I did. So I was like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah, Look, that's may- strange. Maybe that problem, maybe they won't have that problem in a cinema and maybe it might sound better with like a proper cinema kind of mm. Atmos surround sound system. But... I, that was just something I noticed. Uh, it's an interesting film. Mm. Uh, I, as I said, if you're a sucker for these kinds of bottle movies, maybe you'll find a little bit something out of this. But also another thing that I really like about this film is that it's that co- I love how this film has just like a normalization of just of LGBT people. Oh, and so like it doesn't LGBT make a big relation. It doesn't make a big it, they, they, these characters are just gay and that's it. Mm. Like that's and it's never really addressed. Yeah. It's just that they they're gay. They they don't make a big show show of it or anything like that. Which I really respect a movie like this, like kind of normalizing it. I guess it I sort like of that. needs to do that if if um, I guess possibly there there might have been um, sexual yeah. relationships with all characters. With you, you all, said, yeah. You said like straight-ish couples. So yeah, possibly so there could have been you, some. You, gay you slowly release, re- realize the, um, that this day this mysterious David character is at some point had. A se- uh, has had some kind of sexual relationship with all four of these characters. Yeah. 
But yeah, I- interesting contained location bo- bottle film that uh, I I wanted it to be a little bit better than it was, but there's still a lot to like in this one. Uh, Sunburn, it's interesting, and there's two screenings of this one: one on Monday, March 18th, at 6:15 p.m. at Acme, and one on Saturday, March 23rd, at 8:45 p.m. at Village Jam Factory. Get your tickets. MQFF.com at the ticket box or from the MQFF app. It sounds good. Now, on to a film that only you have seen, because this is the film that I assigned Eric to watch. <laughs> Malila, <laughs> well, the I, Farewell Well, I actually flower. did part of my homework, <laughs> so hopefully I get get a good grade. So, so this is a Thai film? Yeah, this I'm is a Thai film, and I hope you don't get me to pronounce the director's name. because I'll, I'll try and pronounce it. So it's uh, the director is Anucha Bunyawatana. Yeah, is that easier or harder to say than Upper Chut Pong? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say that's definitely easier, but, you know, I'm really shit with pronouncing names. Uh, I just look at them like... These Thai names are very, very hard to understand. names in general. <laughs> um, so yeah, no way is too hard for you. Oh, no way is notoriously difficult. <laughs> I look at that and I'm like, is that, is that nose? Is it no? Is it no way? Is it no? <laughs> is it Gaspar Nope? Gaspar Nope. <laughs> More I should have like put Gasper that in my Grove. climax review. I should have put that in my climax review. Gasper Noe, more like Gasper Nope. <laughs> no, R- more like Gasper No Way. Or Gasper Grope in some instances. <laughs> uh, Malila, back now, on track. Um, now, Malila, the, the farewell flower. This is um, this is a rather interesting film because I, I don't know too much about uh Thai culture, but it, it seems to incorporate uh like a a funeral ritual thing that uh, involves the sending of flowers down a river. Um, the 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 film basically um, is um, uh, a a love relationship between two men living in this uh, rural sort of agrarian um, area in in Thailand, and uh, these two men seem to to work together on this farm. Um, they they the film quickly establishes that they they've had a um, that they their relationship has quite uh, the quite the extent of history that um, that their homosexuality homosexuality isn't something that they they that they seem to have um, sort of uh, introduced at this this certain point in the film, and they they sort of talk about like you know loss of life um, to each other. One character lost a daughter, while the other um, the funeral that they are. Uh, uh, showing is the is the the mother of one of the um characters so it's this this interesting film that explores both like death and love and uh what happens like later in the film is there's a there's a very interesting uh development that um that i personally didn't see coming because i thought this uh would um would be a rather straight romance sort of develops into something more tragic and uh it's a uh, somewhat understandable because it uh, involves um, a fair bit of, uh, I guess, Buddhist spiritualism um, in the film. So uh, I, I don't want to get into spoilers, but um, this film really uh, just subverted my uh, my expectations uh, quite a bit. The the, f- the film itself is a uh, shot um, quite interestingly, involving a fair bit of like nature in the 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 foreframe. Uh, shooting a framing a lot of the images through um trees through leaves oh, okay. and, and things like that it i mean just by like the the secondary title the farewell flower like the the um there's a heavy focus on the uh on, on flowers in general just flowers being made in in rituals but also as gifts uh, from one character to another so yeah has the the, the film itself has a it has a very heavy focus on um on uh, incorporating like nature and plants within the um within the frame, which is quite nice. I not not only does it look like aesthetically pleasing, but um it seems to delve deep into some sort of like inner beauty um within this uh re- like within this relationship, like the essence being something as pure as something you'd see in nature, which is quite nice to oh, see. That sounds really good. I can't <laughs> wait to watch this now. I wish that I had watched this <laughs> so I could discuss about it with Eric, but this sounds like maybe Eric got one of the best of the bunch to talk about 
of these uh, <laughs> of these uh, well, queer film film that, 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 that may be. I haven't seen uh, the other screeners that were given, but I was very happy with what I got with Malila. But also, if you guys want to check out Malila the Farewell Flower at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, uh, unfortunately there is only one screening here, but that is on Saturday, March 23rd at 5pm at Acme. And also there is a viewer, there is some viewer discretion here that some scenes may disturb. Uh, yeah, I guess in a sense, I, don't, I wouldn't want to um, explain... Uh what ha- what happens because it's sort of would verge of spoiler territory, but there is some sort of shocking imagery involving corpses, I guess. Um, not 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 something overly grotesque, but like you would understand when you're it's watching a, a the bit film. upsetting, is it? Yeah, it's a bit distressing. Um, well, I, I guess it'd be distressing for the for the audience, but even more so for you know, the characters in the film. But yeah, and we will say farewell to the farewell flower for now on yep. this episode oh, <laughs> for this. Uh, Thing while I try and look through the program to find the next film that I'm going to talk about, uh, Sauvage. Now, we did not get a screener for this, but I saw this because up until mu- recently, it uh, expired on Monday night. This was on Movie Australia oh. as part of, I believe, their focus on French film, on, on like m- contemporary French film that they're doing. And Sauvage is a really, really interesting and very kind of uh, very raw uh, film. So, once I find my notes for it, uh, ba, 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 stall for me, Eric. Um, so Stall. <laughs> so, this film is about a young, a 22-year-old Frenchman named Leo who uh, works as a gay sex worker. Like, he's homeless. Like, he literally, every, every day at work for him is, like, standing on the side of the road with, oh. like, four or five other is he, gay so male it's just prostitutes. Like, yeah. And, yeah, he... Puts himself in very dangerous situations with his clients as well. Like mm. th- th- some of the fun- like the film opens up with him at a doctor's office, and then you fi- you think he's in there like doing some kind like he's getting a checkup or whatever. Yeah. But then you find out that this is <laughs> th- this is this is client. this is his client and like this is his <laughs> kink. And then he's like, "Oh, whose doctor's office is this?" And I can't remember if he says. I think he's like, "I don't know." Then it gets into a, it. It starts out with a very kind of droll and humorous sensibility, but then from then on, it gets really quite serious. There is, mm. a, as it says here, uh, contains very sexually explicit material, and I think I know exactly what that's referencing because, as it's saying here, like uh, he is often put in very dangerous situations by mm. his male clients. There is one in particular, it's like threat scene, of rape, possibly. Not, not to that extent, but there is a very distressing scene with a with a rather large butt plug, which is incredibly distressing to watch and is like. <laughs> Incre- yeah, incredibly upsetting and very distressing to watch and is, like, very, very uncomfortable. So, yeah, viewer discretion advised for that one. But, yeah, so he start- so like he starts to befriend this uh, Moroccan man who's, like, also standing on this street corner with him, but then he finds out, like, he's starting to have this bit of relationship with him, but he's also realising that he-, he admits to him that he's actually straight and that, like, uh, he's-, <laughs> he's only doing this as, like, not a side thing, but, like, this he's doing this because, yeah. like... He, he wants to get out. Like, this is the only thing he can do to get out. But then this Leo, like, he doesn't really show any signs of wanting to escape, though. Like, he's doing this to, like, explore his sexuality and things like that. Oh, right. It's, yeah, it's, as the program guide dis- discuss- says here, when he meets another sex worker, a straight Moroccan man, the pull of attraction, intimacy, and commitment begin to chip away at his uncompromising lifestyle. So- just wait a second, though. So I'm, I'm guessing the straight Moroccan man, he must have gotten there because of unfortunate circumstances. Uh, the, the film doesn't really go into that oh, that okay. much. But, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little episodic. Which, yeah. uh, I mean, but there is an overarching story, and I think it all comes together quite well. But, yeah, this film is very uh, raw, very uncomfortable. I'm, like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, are these... Are these prostitutes that are working for themselves, or are they working? No, for they're for themselves. Okay. No, they're they're not. So they don't they're, have a they're, pimp they're not. They're not anything. being pimped out or anything. No, no they're li- <laughs> they're literally they're free agents essentially. Mm. Yeah. So and then yeah, it's kind of it's it's an interesting character study of this guy because he's also he's also a crackhead as well, and like his health like begins to rapidly deteriorate through this film, mm. and it's yeah, and he's also I got to give reference. Uh, give credit to this guy here um felix moritod who apparently is also in knife and heart um yeah he's incredible in this film oh wow like he shows uh, i mean we say we say with good performances he shows an incredible range of emotion here but like you can really just see i mean it sounds very physical sadness and like oh very 
like yeah, it's an incredibly physical role for him, and yeah, it, he is ama- amazing in this film. Like really, really, this role asks a lot of him, and like he and he delivers. He, he delivers like takes it head on and gives a really fantastic performance. It, it's a really hard film to talk about because there is a lot of really d- deeply distressing and very very explicit scenes mm. in this film but it's you think it's worth the watch it is very despite the the hard material mm, to yep stomach yeah but also um i should say another um thing here uh epilepsy warning with here there's a scene there is a couple of scenes where they go to a party and there are strobe lights and it's <laughs> the strobe light effect that makes it look like it's in stop motion like that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, epileptics uh, maybe steer clear of this one because yeah, str- a lot of strobe we'll lights. Watch in this with film. caution. Watch with caution, exactly. Yeah, but Sauvage, I would say check it out on Movie, but it's no longer on there. But check it out at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. It is, has two sessions: uh, Saturday, March sixteenth, at Acme, at nine fifteen p.m., and as well the next Saturday, the March twenty third, at eight thirty p.m. at Village Jam Factory. And the last film we're going to talk about here that we got to see, or that I got to see, because <laughs> Eric didn't get the chance to check this one out, yeah. uh, is an American film here, which I think is now the... F- is that the first American film we have, apart well, apart from Transmilitary? Yeah, so this is the first American narrative feature we have here, and this is Wild Nights with Emily. Now, this is a very interesting uh, semi-biopic about uh, American poet Emily Dickinson, who, I'm tr- who, who I'd never heard of before this film, and... Apparently, history was not very too kind to her. Like, she was always described as, like, apparently she's one of the... I'm not really big on poetry. She is, from what I've been reading, one of the most influential poets in U.S. history and just in... Yeah, they could be true. A lot of um, female poets, like, historically, especially in their time, just weren't um, seen with as much gravity as the male poets. Yeah, so this... So it's really a re-evaluation that brings them back into um, light. So this is a very interesting kind of dramedy sort of film. Like it's a very, it's very kind of has a very quirky sensibility. It's directed by uh, Madeline Olnick, and yeah, it's a semi biopic about uh, Emily Dickinson, who yeah, who history has kind of uh, described as like this sort of uh, recluse, sort of like very introverted, like you know, didn't really like people and wasn't really (laughs) the outgoing type and was a bit of a yeah, like a misanthrope or something. Yeah. But yeah, and in this film, she's played by the wonderful Molly Shannon, great character actress. It's interesting to see her in a lead role for once, and she really does a great job with Emily mm-hmm. Dickinson. And the f- this is an interesting film as well because Emily Dickinson died in like her fifties or something. So mm-hmm. the the film chronicles most of her life. Early on, it uh, focuses on like her uh, her early life and her teenage years when she first met like uh, this uh, this when she first met like her who would later become her mm-hmm. partner. And but early on it start it's jumping between like Molly Shannon but and then her younger self, and it was a bit jarring. But then also it's but then for like from like the thirty five minute mark onwards it's just all Molly Shannon and her partner and like her writing her poetry and all this sort of thing. But it's interesting in the way that this film is framed. So like the framing device of this film is essentially like um the editor of so it, it, it takes place I think like the the contemporary setting is like set in like but late nineteen eighteen nineties. Like a couple of years, I think, after Dickinson passed away, and it's her editor doing like a reading or like telling Emily's story to like mm. a bunch of people at like a bookstore or whatever, and you start to get to this little, you start to get and realize like, oh, we've got an unreliable narrator here, <laughs> and she she is kind of the person that would have been spruiking all of these like misinformation and all of these like half truths about mm. Emily Dickinson. It's a really interesting film. Molly Shannon brings it. She brings a good performance. She brings a very good performance. And there's also just really interesting stuff. And, like, just talking about this, and, like, this is may, may have also been the filmmaker being doing this as a mouthpiece and, well, using Dickinson as a mouthpiece yeah. for it. But there's there's a scene where Dickinson has a, uh, has a conversation with a potential publisher, and she's talking about, like, how there's no such thing as male authorship. There's always woman authorship, but male authorship is just authorship. And like mm. you're seeing it, this you're seeing a lot today with like talking about films directed by women, mm. and like how they're female directors. You never hear about male directors; they're just directors. Like yeah. but you hear all this thing about. So it's interesting discussions about authorship and like about Emily Dickinson saying this, and it's like shit. Things haven't changed. Like the things <laughs> are still the same. So that's a little bit embarrassing. But it's very tongue in cheek. Like there's also 
th- there's interesting ways in which like uh, that her poetry is recited in the film. Like there's a very weird kind of semi musical number where she like where she and well, other characters are they, reciting they, the poetry. It's a poetry like lyric, so they in, in involves like a lyric, not really sort of beat. No, uh, not really. Oh, but, right. Yeah, some of the poems were like really quite interesting though. And there's one, and like the text of the poem also comes up on screen. But there's, I think, one of the last poems that that are recited in the film is it, it's one of the most like haunting and like I think really impactful ones. And it's her not saying anything, and it's just the the words coming up on screen. And it's like while she is, I think, yeah, I think it's while while she's on her deathbed. It's like this surrealist scene where she's like in a black room with like some other person, and mm. yeah, it's. It's powerful, yeah. but yeah, the the film is fairly like it's fairly lighthearted and tongue in cheek. Um, it doesn't always work. Like uh, as I said, this editor character who's telling the story, like when she actually gets involved in the story, mm. she kind of hijacks the third act of the film. Oh, okay. Her character kind of hijacks the third act of the film, which is well, I don't think was the right choice. But like, I'm look, maybe that's what happened in real life. Like when this editor came in, but yeah, maybe I'm not they sure. try to tell two stories: the story of the editor and the story of the of the of the poet herself. Um, where um, I guess like there's a difficulty of like you're trying to tell this one story first, but then you're also trying to tell a story about how the story came to be, like that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, I think I'm, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of like lyric, um, not lyrical, but uh, like uh, literary references and like a lot of like poetry references. The only one I got was an Oscar Wilde reference. Mm. I got one reference to the Nightingale and the Rose. That was the only one I got in this entire film. But yeah, this is a, it's a very, like, at the core of this film is also the relationship, like, with a lot of these films that we've talked about, is the yeah. relationship between these two. And it's a very sweet, very tender film. And that's the focus of the story. And if it had a little bit more, if it focused more on that and, like, less, I, I think the, uh, as I said with the framing device, I think it's an interesting way to tell the story. It was just. You think it just draws urgency away from a the real bit, relationship yeah. as such? Yeah. But it, it's, it's an interesting film, and this has two screenings at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Uh, Saturday, March 16th, 7pm at Village Jam Factory, and Saturday, March 23rd at 5.15pm at Acme. And that wraps up this episode for the Melbourne our preview for the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Yep, I, I hope that we've uh, struck upon something that might be interesting for any of the viewers to watch. Hmm. And um, there is also a whole like w- this is just what we've seen. There is a whole heap of other oh films. Oh yeah, that I mean, there's a whole big multi-page program that you could look through. Yes, you can look can at find on the website. You can find the you can find the program at the on the website mqff.com.au, or you can pi- you can pick up a physical print copy at any of the venues as well. And uh, another film, like yeah, as we said, there's a whole bunch of other films. Uh, and one that looks really interesting to me, uh, the closing night film, Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. <laughs> which is a film from Justin Kelly that stars Laura Dern and Kristen Stewart. Well, that sounds really cool. I mean, I just, I just, I mean, kind of sold with that that title, Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. <laughs> yeah, I know that's awesome. And that, yeah, so that's the closing night film. Uh, that's on Sunday, March twenty fourth at seven thirty p.m. at Acme. Uh, I'm not quite sure with the ticket status on that one just yet. But also a film that I've missed at about four or five festivals so far, and really wanted to see it is uh, the film that won the prize at the Sydney Film Festival. I missed it at oh, the Latino the film. ERSs. The ERSs, which yeah. I missed at the I missed at the uh, Cine Latino Film Festival. I missed at the Young at Heart Film Festival. Missed at Melbourne Film Festival <laughs> and Sydney Film Festival. I will not miss it at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. I think I'm finally going to catch it here. There's two screenings of the ERSs, which is a Paraguayan film. And I heard it did quite well with uh, with picking up a couple of awards from other festivals. And like Knife and Heart, it seems to be doing well around the festival circuit. Just, you know, everything's playing it, which is quite nice. Yep. So, no, sorry, you go. Oh, I was going to say, like, let's hope that you're not cursed and that um, you will eventually watch the film and that every time you try to watch the film, you're not, like, stopped by some external, uh, <laughs> like, issue. Well, I'm going to make sure I go to either one of these screenings on Sunday, 17th of March at 6.15pm at Acme or, or Wednesday, March 20th at 6.30 at, at Cinema Nova. Mm. Tickets available, as we said, from the Melbourne Qu- Queer Film Festival app available on Android or iPhone on mqff.com.au or at the box office of the participating venues. I think that about wraps it up. That wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening in today, and thank you very much to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival for letting us cover your festival 
it'll be a great. Uh, 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 it's going to be a great festival. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was. It's a. It's a pleasure to talk about the festival, and it'd be even better to experience it. Mm, we've got. We, we've gotten a taste of some of the of what this festival has yeah. to offer, and I've never been to the queer film festival before. Yeah. I so mean, it'd be a first for me too. So I'm. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It will be fantastic. Thank you guys for listening. Stick around for the plugs. G'day guys, thank you very much for listening in to our preview episode of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. This episode is dropping on Thursday, March 14th, 2019, so the opening night of the festival is tonight, So, and it runs. the festival runs all the way until Monday, March 25th, so if you're in Melbourne for the next week and a half, make sure you get along to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. There's also passes available for three, five, seven, and ten films available for purchase. And if you want to buy your tickets, there's three ways to do so. You can download the Melbourne Queer Film Festival app on iPhone or Android. You can buy them at the box office at these participating venues, or you can buy them online at mqff.com.au. And a big thank you to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival for letting us cover your festival and letting us see a number of these films early. We all really enjoyed them and we would be very happy to do it again next year. And if you enjoyed our, Eric and I and our discourse of uh, these these uh, these films of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and you want to hear us do some more festival coverage, we will be talking over the next in the next couple of weeks. We will have episodes covering the Alliance Francaise French Film Festival that we briefly mentioned where Knife and Heart is also playing, as well as another film in the program for the Melbourne Queer Film Fest, Sorry Angel, which is also playing as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and the French Film Festival. Eric and I will have very extensive coverage of the French Film Festival coming very soon. So to keep up to date with all that, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Whatever third-party app you use, just search Another Bloody Movie Podcast and hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on all our social media, Facebook, Another Bloody Movie Podcast, Twitter, at AB Movie Podcast, and on Instagram, at Another Bloody Movie Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at SeanHub underscore. That is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. You can also follow me on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates. And you can read my written reviews at moviebabblereviews.com. Speaking of the French Film Festival, my first... A collection of mini-reviews is up on moviebabblereviews.com right now, so make sure you go check that out. And stay tuned. As I mentioned, we've got a lot of French Film Festival coverage coming at you very shortly, including the much-anticipated cerebral sci-fi fertility thriller that is Claire Denis' High Life. Little hint, I loved it. Um, Thanks very much for listening, guys. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.